romance. Hey, everyone out there in romance land. Uh, if you are thinking that the voice sounds different for this episode, you're absolutely right. Keen ear. I am not Tati of Romance and Color. <laughs> I am, however, Laquette, and I am also thrilled to bring you a wonderful conversation today with our host, none other than Tati Richardson, who is a lovely book coming out called The Buildup. And today we're going to talk about that book. So stay tuned. You know, I'll try, I'll try to measure up, but we're going to have a good conversation. I promise. I promise. Measure up. You're going to be fine. <laughs> Whatever. Tati, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for coming on. Oh, I'm so thrilled to be here. And I mean, honestly, I'm I'm absolutely thrilled to be able to talk to you about this book because as you know, I interrupted your day to tell you how just how magnificent I thought the story was um, yeah. when I finished it because it was everything I needed in a romance novel. Oh, and it Thank was you. just whew. But we're going to get to all those things that made me sigh and lose my breath in this story. <laughs> all the emotions that it invoked. And it is a wide array of emotions that you feel when you are reading this story. So first, how did you come up with the initial idea? Like, what did you propose to Harlequin to get them to look at it and say, hey, this is cute. I think we this might work for us. So my pitch initially to them was just right meets uh, Can You Keep a Secret by Sophie Kinsella. So I wanted like a workplace romance and I wanted it to feature a plus size woman and I wanted it to feature a man who, you know, was completely smitten with her. And as a kid, teen, um young adult who kind of cut their teeth on like you know the golden age of black romance which was you know the 90s 2000s so Ooh, the, yeah so the brown shit, yes yes <laughs> so like you know the brown sugars and the best man and love oh. and stuff I wanted a book that kind of evoked those same feelings um and so that's what I told them I said I wanted a I wanted a book that feels like that that evokes those things and that are that's a workplace romance that features a plus size woman that's not really you know it's not quote-unquote conventional um and so that's what I sold to to, to Hollywood luckily they they were interested in and picked it up awesome sauce I mean smart move on their part um <laughs> whoever your editor is a one job uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Because I am so happy to have this book in my life. So <laughs> when we meet our heroine in true rom-com fashion, she has a really, really like bad start to her day. She's got a big day. It's her first day on the job. She's, I'm sure she spent, you know, ridiculous amounts of time picking the perfect outfit, <laughs> getting everything together just in time, making sure she's going to arrive before time and mm -hmm. we have this incident on the train which I mean kudos to you because I didn't think that the incident was that big of a deal when I read mm -hmm. it in the beginning mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. But at the end, of course, we realize how significant that <laughs> that moment that she's having on the train is. Yes. Um, so talk to us a little bit about what's happening on the train on her, her way into work to this new job. So Ari's, like you said, is started kind of starting her life over and she has a job in her first day on the job at a black architecture firm first of all she has the day from hell so her car breaks down she's like not she's had a really old car she's very fond of that car breaks down she has to book it to the train station <laughs> and in atlanta if you know anything about marta it is not they said marta's <laughs> smarter but it ain't um so you know she has to book it from wesley train station you know to her you know her job in midtown um and so on the train, you know, she's, you know, her skirt's too tight, it's, it's packed, and then, you know, she has a wrong coffee, I mean, everything is wrong, her wrong coffee order, and then out of the blue, a dog licks her coffee cup, <laughs> and then she's, she's, like, shocked and spills the coffee all on herself, and she's like, fuck, I, this is the worst day, <laughs> then on top of that, she's like, okay, fine, let me just try to make it to the train station. She's walking, trying to get up to the train station. What happens? The heel of her shoe breaks. So all this stuff has like everything that can go wrong does go wrong. And then yes. we're not even like five pages into the We're story. not even five pages <laughs> in. And so we meet her and you know the opening scene is really her getting to the you know receptionist desk and the woman's like what in the world has happened to you <laughs> like what has happened to you um I, I kind of, love, her name is is it miss gloria miss gail miss gail. gail and it was a g name miss gail, gail i love her i love how open she is how she does not bite her tongue Mm-mm. like she says Mm-mm. what needs to be said even if you are not prepared to hear it yeah <laughs> Yes, yes. And she was looking like, honey, can I help you? Like, something wrong with you? You look and like went, you need some help, girl. You look like you need some help. <laughs> and so, you know, she's just like a mess, a, a, a complete mess. And she didn't think that she was going to be looking a complete mess on her first day meeting uh-huh. her, you know, her partner uh, for this big design project. But, you know, little does she know, things happen for a reason. <laughs> uh, we definitely figured that out at the mm-hmm. end of the um what i loved about your your heroine and give us give us a little background story on her because i don't want to give too much away and i feel like in my excitement i might so just give us a little background story on who your heroine is because she's um, very like this story is very much driven by her experiences, mm-hmm. her needs, wants, and desires, mm-hmm. and as 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 well as with her heartaches as well. Mm-hmm. She carries a bunch of them, um, and and her strengths. So I I feel like the story was really grounded in her experience. So tell yeah. us a little bit about about your heroine name. Uh- you know measurements all that <laughs> <laughs> that's important though you know it is it's important. Important. And i want people to know because you wrote her so gloriously yeah. and i think as someone who who writes plus size women mostly plus size women and you know and i do my best to write them with confidence mm-hmm. and and you know write them having such joy for the for life mm-hmm. i 
I was instantly impressed by this heroine because she she was someone I could recognize on the page. Mm-hmm. And so give us some information about her. I want the world to know. Ari Ari James is a confident, uh, you know, a woman who kind of came from being kind of awkward to being a confident person. Um, very skilled in her job, very knowledgeable of her job. Um, but along the way, she's had some heartbreak and things that's kind of knocked her confidence as far as her job is concerned. Not really anything else, kind of her job, really her job. Um, she's also a woman who had a super, you know, close relationship with her family and her father and the impact of that loss is kind of there as well. Um, and she's basically starting over. She's a person in her 40s having to start over and start a career and move back home. Um and kind of take this devastating loss and turn it into a win for her. Um, and she feels like, you know, this opportunity to build this soccer stadium is what she's doing. It's sort of her last shot, her last chance at kind of redeeming herself in her industry. Um, I don't want to give anything away about why she feels that way, but she does. And, you know, Ari is, you know, knows that not only is she a Black woman in this very insular industry that does not have a lot of Black people, does not have a lot of women, but she's also a plus size woman. She's a, I think I said she was made of being like a 22 or something like that, size 22, 24. Size is relative, you know, you can look a certain way and be a 22, 24. That numbers don't really mean anything. Um, but, you know, there are other things I put in the story to make you realize that she's not small. Um, like, for example, when they go out to eat and, um, you know, the place is crowded and the only place they have is kind of like a booth and it's tight. So she's like, okay, this booth is tight. And the guy that she works with, Porter, is like, oh my God, this booth is tight. Is she uncomfortable? Maybe we can go get a table somewhere. She's like, no, no, it's good, it's good, it's good. So there are things in there that I think plus size women experience. And then you realize the kind of Ari size, but at the same time, you realize not only is Ari, she 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 fly though. You know what I'm saying? Like she a big girl, she fly. <laughs> You know, she cute. She keep herself together. She looks good, you know. And we learned that from Porter's perspective of when he's looking at her. And, and you know, he's looking at every little molecule of this woman. Um, and so we learned that she's not only she she's plus size, but she's also she looks good every day. And she she she, she, she smells good. She looks amazing. All this other stuff. Um, but she, you know, she's a plus size woman who's had to deal with a lot and everybody's size is their problem and not hers um you know her yeah her size is is everybody's problem not not hers um so you know she's 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 learned to kind of take that with a grain of salt and kind of wants her work to speak for itself um and that's why she's like okay this opportunity back home in Atlanta is something that I think my work can speak for itself and maybe it's something that'll be amazing because this firm is all black, so she's thinking she's not going to have the same issues that she had before. Not having to deal with misogynoir, right? Like not having to deal with a place where you have to fight just, you know, just to maintain just because of the color of your skin. I love that. I love everything about (laughs) her persona. Mm -hmm. I love everything about the way our hero Porter um, perceives her. Mm -hmm. And I think that is very important when writing um people who are usually othered in romances Mm -hmm. um and just in society in general 
I think it's very, um, I, before I, I really, um, before I was, before I was able to get a traditional contract, I read a book with a plus size woman. And one of the things that drove me crazy about the book, although it was, you know, good writing, mm -hmm. is that this woman had absolutely no, no self-esteem. Like she was so super mm -hmm. self-conscious of her body and mm -hmm. like literally every, of every page was something, was some sort of um, fear she had about how people perceived her body. And I'm not saying that that is not a valid, valid. perspective. And right. There are some plus size people who feel that way. And that society has definitely made feel that way. Mm -hmm. But what bothered me so much about it was not only was she having these sort of insecure thoughts about herself, but so was the hero. Right. In the hero's head, and I remember this line, it was something to the effect of, she'd be cute if she lost a couple of pounds. Oh, no. And I was no. just like, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> Let me just DNF this real quick. <laughs> no, I, I read further because I was okay. like, no way, they're going to be a couple. It just, this has to be a joke that any man who is supposed to be the hero, yeah. and literally, like, they when they actually get together, and she's self-conscious and, you know, trying to cover up her body with the sheets. And um, he literally like yells at her about, you know, I, I don't give a damn. I just want to have sex. Like, right, right. It, it was, there was no gentleness yes. to him. There was no awareness of how, how it feels for someone right. or compassion or empathy for someone who walks through a world that treats them as if you know, they should not exist. And what I love about Porter from the moment Porter <laughs> comes on the page, instantly all he pours out is positivity. Yes. Desire is need. Yes. Tell me about how important it was for you to create, really carefully craft this character who is going to love Ari, not because you know, she's just someone that fell into his orbit, but because everything about her desperately calls to him. I think in in painting Porter, I didn't want to just paint this guy who was like this super self-confident guy who was just like, you know, I can get any woman I want. And if I want her, I can have her, da, da, da. I wanted him to be, yeah, he's going to be a good looking guy, but he's a good looking guy who's a little bit, you know, awkward, a little bit, you know, not as confident as he seems as other people perceive him to see, perceive him to be. So I think that's what him, he and Ari have in common. People have these perceptions of them based on outward appearances. Um, and they both kind of shatter those expectations because Porter is a, a gentleman. Porter is, you know, um, you know, not as confident as he seems. Porter is just to kinda... give y'all a little <laughs> bit of the key of what Porter looks like. You know, he's what the old folks used to say is, you know, he's a, a pretty boy in the black community. The old yes. folks say he got that good hair, right? <laughs> <laughs> These are the things he yes. is, you know, somewhere in his lineage was an octoroon, you know. Yes. Yes, you know, yes. in his past in family. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, colorism, you know, can very much be driven by Black families. And yes. 
many of his black family members have married or mm -hmm. chosen spouses based on how lightly complected they were. So right. their offspring would continue to have this very, what we call exotic, I wanna say yes. with quotation marks around it. Quote, unquote, um, acceptable. You know, <laughs> acceptable features who, you know, and when we say acceptable, we mean acceptable by others. race, by mm -hmm. every other race except the black race. Right. So he's got his own baggage. And I really yes. love that not only was he aware of, of his history, who he was, and mm -hmm. how um, problematic it was, he didn't let it like drive him. Like he didn't get caught up in the idea no, no, and good looking. He's just like, yeah, I am all those things. He acknowledges, <laughs> it, but you know, it's. I just, I love that about him that he can, in one breath, acknowledge who he is, but also understand how problematic some of his history is, and try to live a better life. Yeah, and I think he knows it's problematic because you know he has a close relationship with his own mother, and he's seen kind of like. And you know, and heard about the things that he, his mom and dad kind of went through, and he's like, "Look, I would never want to put somebody through that type of thing." You know, he has a very kind of sensitivity to that type of stuff. So when he does fall for Ari, given that he comes, you know, his mom and dad got together, and you know, superficially, people were like, "Oh my God, why are they together?" I guess in the back of his mind, he kind of knew people would be looking at them the same way, but he didn't care. He just didn't, he just didn't care. He was like, I'm attracted to this woman. It doesn't matter, you know, what she looks like. And I guess that's some, one, one of the positive things that he got from his late dad. Um, so he's, you know, he kind of carries on the, I guess the Harrison man tradition of not giving a damn and, and going for what you want in a partner. I also love that he doesn't, um, not only does he do what he wants, but he doesn't, explain to anyone why he's doing no it. no he has some he's a there's a really terrible co-worker that they both have <laughs> named Greer Greer yeah he's hands in the street any day of the week you know he he is that kind of a person that you want to run up on and just pop him in the yeah mouth. yeah and but, but Greer has his own backstory too and does, you, when you does. learn about him you realize why he is the way he is I agree but that still doesn't <laughs> That still doesn't, you know, make me want to deny the fact that he made me angry enough to want to resort to violence. <laughs> um, but what I what I love is that even though Greer has a lot to say about Ari, like mm -hmm. a lot, a lot, um, he, you know, Porter never justifies his interest in Tati to anyone. No. Uh, and and I love that he's written that way. Like I like yeah. this moment and that's it and that's all. And yeah. I think from my perspective, as a plus size woman, like these are the types of characters I would like to see written mm -hmm. um, who are not, you know, because those of us who are big girls, we understand that, you know, we we are cute, we keep it cute, mm -hmm. we can pull, you know, we can pull hotties. <laughs> um you know we're not sitting at home worrying about our dress size no no um, we're going out and, you know and, I think for all and I, I think about that joke Chris Rock said and it always stick with me he was like I don't know about child but big women they going out you know <laughs> they going out tonight he said she gonna stick 
her foot, her big feet, and her and some shoes that she going. I mean, it was it was funny at the time, but Is you know, true? but it's true though, because like and I know, I mean, and I told somebody else when I was writing a book, maybe it's cultural because I said every black woman I know got a man, every big <laughs> black woman I know got a man, every big black bigger black woman I know, and he fine. Like he's and he's fine, and and and, and they got a a, a a a handsome man. They they going out. They having a good time. They're not, you know, worried that their size may be an issue for them. But they're not, it's you not know. This isn't to say size is not an issue for black women in the community because it is. But at the same time, I the women that I knew and grew up with and around me didn't let their size hinder them from having a full life even a full love life or a full sex life they they psh, they were having sometimes my, my bigger friend big friends bigger than me were having more sex than I was and I was like oh okay you know <laughs> I'm not skinny either you know what I'm saying I'm I'm, I'm plus size too but my my friends who they he, they call themselves super plus size were having full you know sex lives too and I was like that's you know that's the point it shouldn't stop anybody from being loved and being appreciated because there's literally somebody for everybody out there. You just touched on something extremely important. The idea that size is cultural. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, <laughs> just to prove it, <laughs> I was having a conversation. I was in the process of writing a book and I, and the heroine was plus size. And I was reaching out to my friends who I have this group of, um, friends who's you know it's very multicultural mm-hmm. and they oftentimes when I feel like I'm I'm writing something that may only be specific to black people or black culture mm-hmm. I want to see if it translates so I can see how much work I have to do in order to provide context for it mm-hmm. and I decided that my hero was going to call the heroine thickness that was going to be his name <laughs> right right so I I go on my chat and I'm like, hey, hey, people, if if the hero called you, called your hero, if you read a book where the hero calls the heroine thickness, uh-huh. what's your reaction? When I tell you the black women in the chat were like, oh, girl, like, yes. yes and yeah. the white women in the chat were like, hell no, I would be so mortified. And I was just <laughs> like... And like it was like it sparked this really huge yeah. conversation yeah. about the you know cultural aspect of how we see our bodies, and I, that's another thing that I appreciated mm-hmm. in this book is that that cultural that that cultural acceptance of larger bodies and the black yeah. community, like thickness, is not a pejorative in right. the black community. That's right. a man celebrating everything about you including the the roles and the crevices so yeah, yeah, you know yeah. you portray that so well <laughs> Porter Porter embodies that yeah. so damn well that <laughs> it really just took my breath away reading this oh, hero because he is such I mean he is the thing that he is the person that every black larger bodied person deserves he Mm -hmm. he really he really is um and I I just I love that you're able to do this and to do it in a way that doesn't necessarily seem didactic right I didn't get teaching from it 
it was coming. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really want to do that. Like, I just wanted a guy who's just enamored with a girl. You know what I mean? Like, you just enamored with a girl and a girl who was self confident by herself. And I didn't really feel like there was, you know, there wouldn't need if his real friends didn't really need explanation as to why he was with her because, you know, they looked at her and was like, oh yeah, I see why she's pretty. You know, it, when she meets his family, nobody says, oh my God, you know, she's huge, she's big, you know. Um, you know, his brother has his own, <laughs> his brother has his own issue, but it, it was never really about Ari being big. It was, it was about her being part of his job. Job, <laughs> right, right. Like, bro, you at work. Oh, <laughs> Stop playing. Um, Stop right. pretending y'all just friends. Like I, I yeah. see, I see. Yeah, it. I see what's going on. Um, and I so, love his friends that he has, a, especially Jamal. Is it if I remember correctly? Oh Lord, Jamal. I'm gonna need Jamal <laughs> to get a book first of all. Everybody is yeah. saying that. Everybody's saying Jamal where is Jamal's book? Jamal need a book. I he he. I want to see him in this series at some point, Tati. I'm just letting okay. you know, no pressure, but pressure. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I I love Jamal, and that even Jamal. I love the exchange. The the you know this is a real friend when you could tell your friend you ain't shit. Yeah, your friend's <laughs> like, yeah, you right. And right, you know I know. Like, this is the type of friendship Jamal and Porter have. But what I love about Jamal is like, he, at one point, I think he and, and Ari went to school together. Yes. And at one point, he was like trying to holler at her girlfriend. Yeah. He up with her, you know, accidentally through Porter, you know, and with the reminiscing is like, yeah, I used to holler at her, how she's doing. And when, yeah. and we get, you know, when she sort of informs him about the friend and her unavailability, he instantly switches over. Yes. To <laughs> Focus. Like, so, you know. So what's up with you though? <laughs> he came to her with, I mean, not even a breath between the <laughs> conversation. And, and he, I mean, and then, at first I felt he was kind of slimy, but then when I when I like read the text exchange between he and Porter, and he's like, yo, if you don't get at that, my brother, right, you got a problem because I sure as hell will. Yeah. I, I love this dude. Again, yeah. celebrating <laughs> this beautiful plus size black woman yes. who's fluffy and fabulous and living her best life. Yes. Oh, girl, <laughs> my soul. In this yes. <laughs> I love Jamal. I love Jamal. Jamal is so honest. You know what I mean? Like he just, you know, even though, you know, I think I only had him in like a couple of chapters. He was um, memorable. Like, <laughs> he definitely was memorable. You know, Jamal, I guess is loosely based on, you know, people that I kind of went to college with, um, <laughs> you know, those kind of boys who was always somewhere, everywhere. <laughs> You know, you saw him sneaking in the door or whatever. And they all went to Hampton together. Um, but you know, Ari wasn't out there like that in the you know, in the in this in the social scene. But you know, Porter and his fraternity brothers were all my friends were like, why you didn't put what front they was in? I said, I'll let y'all guess. Like, I don't care. Like, I'll let y'all guess. <laughs> I'll let y'all guess. I was like, nah, I'm not gonna put what front they let 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 y'all guess. And you can put whatever front you want in there. I went to a city school, I went to City Colleges, um, mm -hmm. University of New York, which to my knowledge at the time had no um, fraternities or sororities. If they did, I certainly wasn't aware of them. Mm -hmm. um, 
So, you know, growing up in Brooklyn and New York, the only thing I knew about, you know, sororities and the like were um, watching the Cosby show or a different world. Like, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, cool. yeah, which is, which, is, yeah, which is cool because, you know, we, I mean, a different world, um, part of their, you know, they filmed on, on various college campuses, including my own college campus, which was Clarkland University. Um, Hampton University and stuff like that and I picked Hampton I didn't go to Hampton but I picked Hampton as kind of that linchpin of them being connected together because um, Hampton has a very well-known architecture program and I wanted them to be architects and I wanted them to go to HBCU so I was like oh I can, I'll just pick Hampton and this is right it was just so rare and then when I then when I was like, wait, I know somebody who went to Hampton who was an architect. And I see, and we went to high school together. So I actually called her and was asking her a lot of uh questions about what it's like to be a black woman and be in architecture and stuff like that. And you know, shout out to my friend Romisha. She really, really liked, gave me so much insight about what it's like to be a black woman and 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 be an architect, which is, you know, crazy. You know, oftentimes mm-hmm. like you know, there's a, I think there's a part of the book where Ari gets mistaken for the secretary. She said that's happened to her several times. She goes, you know, she goes in to present and people are like, oh, I'm sorry, this is, this room is for so-and-so. Um, Or, you know, can you go get me a coffee? And she's looking like, excuse me, I'm the person here to present, you know, so that, you know, being Black and having to deal with those type of microaggressions all the time, it's a lot, you know, it's a lot to deal with. And particularly when people don't see you in that profession I think it's only maybe like I think maybe like five percent of architects are black and then out of that five percent it's like two percent are are women so it's really really small that was my next point that fact your the statistical data you put in about how small the pool is Mm -hmm. people in this very like necessary profession right Mm because we need we need things build, built in order to survive in this world, whether it's business, whether it's domiciles, like we need, we need things built mm-hmm. <laughs> and we need those yeah. things to be, to be planned by people who actually have the expertise to do so. And to think that there are so few black people in this <clears throat> profession, like, mm-hmm. it's like every time I see a black pilot, I'm just like, yes. Yes, because again, it's another one of those professions where we don't see us represented in very large numbers. But I had no idea about that before I read. Yeah, yeah, because I like I I just always thought architecture was a really cool, you know, subject. I'm I'm not obviously I'm not an architect, (laughs) Um, but you know, knowing that um, there are so few black folks in that profession, you know, really intrigued me. I was like, why? aren't there you know and I want I just want a story about that and plus you know I live in a I live in a city Atlanta there's always a new building going up here and there and I'm like who's building these buildings you know um and given that I also work in higher ed and that and there's a program that there's there's an architecture program where I work um I see very few black students coming through that program so I'm just like, wow, we really need more Black folks to get into architecture and, and urban design and city planning and mm-hmm. stuff like that, because, you know, we're the people who are living in these spaces. Um, and so we need to kind of control the narrative of what needs to be there before somebody else does, because a lot of, from what I'm, I've understood in doing research, you know, architecture, city planning, 
things like that often the intent often is to drive out minority people and what we really need to do is be preserving these areas for a multitude of folks but particularly the people who've been inhabiting it for a while um so you know like when Ari well I keep going into the story but when Ari and Porter are building the stadium you know the people they're building for is like we want sustainability you know, we want something that is green, we want sustainability, we want it near public transportation, you know, things like that, things so that everybody can have access to. Everybody can have access to. And, you know, I think back to when they were building, you know, the stadium here, building the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, and how it was such a big hoopla because, you know, churches got torn down and all that stuff. And a lot of times they weren't considering the neighborhood and the people um, that were affected by it, even though they, you know, they got compensated and moved, still you're moving bits and pieces of history that were there, um, you know, and there before, and, you know, a stadium was there, you know, a church that was there since 1813 or whatever, and then a church that helped, you know, found Morehouse and stuff like that were in the area, and then you just build a big old massive stadium you know and displace those people so you know I didn't want to write I also didn't want to write a story about displacement so that was the other thing no but I think I think one of the beautiful things about your writing and especially in particular how you've written this book is that you still address those issues without Mm -hmm. making the book about those issues and right Again, it is something that I desperately love when I'm reading books about demographics that I belong to. Um, this, I, my, in my head, I'm always writing because I want to celebrate the joy of of who I am, mm-hmm. and I felt joy in this book while I was reading it. the The celebration yeah. of culture the celebration of Black women in all shapes and sizes, mm-hmm. the celebration of Black men, the um, while still acknowledging some of the things that historically have plagued our culture and mm-hmm. our communities. Mm-hmm. Um, I absolutely adored that and, and still managed to do it while making me laugh. Yes. <laughs> um, so I, I, I kudos to you for that because I think Thank you. it's hard to balance all of that as a writer mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. especially hard to do that in a debut. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you do it so well, um, I, I just, I'm so <laughs> into this book. Like this was definitely the book I needed. And another thing about some of the themes that you sort of explore in this book is um, family, mm-hmm. being a grown child, of um, of parents who have had a great deal to do with sort of navigating your life. Mm-hmm. Um, I I am my mother and I are entering into a new you know new arena where I am forty five. I'm starting to experience some of the things that forty five year old women experience. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I am. yes. I am, <laughs> I'm not happy about it either. <laughs> I'm I'm experiencing those things, but including motherhood and and being mm-hmm. a mother to an almost teenager. And I think back now to how I was and the fact mm-hmm. that my kid 
I literally texted a friend of mine yesterday. This boy makes me want to pull up on him and ask him, knuck if you buck. Like, that's what I want to say to this child. He makes me want to incite violence on him because of this, this teenage attitude that these hormones have started to um have started to make him feel himself. And so, you know, having this experience, I appreciate my mother a lot more, but I, I'm still in that space where she's still my mama mm-hmm. and I have to sort of like let her know what the boundaries are because she doesn't right. care about my boundaries. Right. <laughs> right. 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 She doesn't care about my boundaries. Right. And I loved the... I loved the relationship between Ari and her mother, right? Doris. <laughs> Ari is, is the typical doting, you know, black daughter. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> she's all like, you know, she's very concerned about what her mother thinks yeah. of her and her situations at times. And her mama is the chillest person on the earth, right? She's like, yeah. yes, yeah. I'm your mama, but you're grown now and you need to start doing grown woman things, right? right. There's nothing wrong with admitting you do grown woman things. Right. I love that for yeah. her to have such a mother that's so accepting, mm-hmm. but still giving her the, the motherly support she needs mm-hmm. and the push to do things that are not necessarily comfortable for where she is when we meet her in the book. Right, 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 right. Doris is definitely like, I think Doris is my favorite character too, right? Because Doris is like this mashup of my mom and her sisters. Like literally she's a mashup of all of them. Um, so, you know, there are things about, um, all of my aunts that I just kind of put into Doris and about my mom that I put into Doris like my mom had a key to my apartment she didn't care she just used to walk in you know <laughs> and stuff like that you know I never forget she just walked in one time I was I come home from work and I was like I smell something and my mom had just come to my apartment this is very sweet though she had come to my apartment she left a note and she was like well I just cooked your dinner and like she just put like a pot roast and like the um crock pot and just left i was like who does that you just put crock pot little stuff in crock pot just leave. my mama and tell her she's slipping and that she needs <laughs> to contact your mama yes she used to do that um, although my mama has cooked for me yes but <laughs> always at request and i've always had to go pick it up so <laughs> yeah yeah i'm gonna need you hear that, mother? I'm need <laughs> you to show up. Just show up with a dish, please. Thank you. Yeah, but my mom, you know, she's not, she's not here anymore, but she used to do stuff like that. And, you know, like I said, she used to have a key and just be walking in. I can be just in my drawers. <laughs> literally in my drawers, which is what happens to Ari. Um, and just walk in. And I'm just that like, is the God. funniest scene in the world, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God I've never been in compromising positions like Ari, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, my mom didn't care about Ooh, stuff. That, it she, certainly was a yeah. position. Wonder Woman unders <laughs> are involved people. Uh, but it's 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 definitely a funny 
ha ha if you are not the person this is happening to experience <laughs> it is very funny very funny like thank god it never happened to me they see my fear though but it never happened it never happened to me in real life so i was like i, de- I definitely got to put something like that in the in the book because you know ari's gonna i think they're gonna get caught sneaking around some kind of way who better person to catch them than her mom so you know I mean, this, what, what I also love about this book that you put in there, you and I have a mutual love of Wonder Woman. And oh, yeah. Know, yeah. Buy all the comics. Yes. And, you know, all the paraphernalia. Yes. Uh, so to to read in this book that you're you're even able to slip that in, you know. Yeah, that's very, was, very, like I say, it's a little bit of me in there, but it's mostly, you know, just made up stuff. But the, the Wonder Woman stuff is definitely me. <laughs> that's definitely me. I had to throw that in there some kind of way. <laughs> You know. I love um again on this topic of family now let's talk about mm. about Porter's family mm. um mm. still very supportive and as nurturing as they can be from their you know their ability to be yes um yes nurturing but what we see in his family is that it's very contrary to what we see in Ari's family. Mm-hmm. Right? We see this very open, nurturing, just big-hearted sort of love between mm-hmm. Ari and her mother. And because of the way she's grieving the loss of her father, we we also have to assume that he was very much a part of that big yes. love that she that has really you know filled and supported her most of her life mm-hmm. Porter has been supported and given every opportunity um and he's been he was nurtured by his parents not so much by his grandparents, grandparents no. and now that his father is no longer with them mm-hmm. um we see that he there's this void for him I love the fact that you celebrate black fathers in this mm-hmm. book in mm-hmm. such a loving way mm-hmm. and how much they add to um add and enrich their children's lives because sometimes yeah. I feel like that's lost in romance yeah what about yeah. you yeah um for me I think the dads were important um maybe because and not to get personal my dad my, my dad is alive but me we don't have the like greatest relationship we're, we're cool I put you that where we're cool and my parents look my parents were married too for like 40 almost 40 years um but you know me and my dad kind of had like an icy relationship so I always wanted to put dads in there who like celebrated their kids who were like you know um who were there for their kids who just really uplifted their kids in some kind of way even if they're present if they're not physically on the page um their presence is still felt um and, you know, even if you have kind of a hard, stern dad, which um, Porter says his dad wasn't really like an outwardly emotional guy, but he was always there for them. And, and there were the little things that he did that mm-hmm. kind of showed that he cared and that he loved loved them, particularly, you know, very doting on their mother. And they could see that, you know, all the time. Um, and so, you know, Porter's dad really, really had an impact on him, I think, which is like, a, which is like I said, which is why he didn't care what people thought about um him dating or being with Ari because he saw that his dad didn't care or didn't care about what people thought about him being with his mom so you know he just kind of had a dad who was kind of influential in that way um among other small things you know in his life and so when his dad is gone at kind of a critical juncture as an adult he's like well who's around the only person around his grandfather who's like this you know 
erudite senator and all this money and comes from these you know aristocratic Louisiana Creoles they what did they call him grandpa senator am I imagining yes they did they called him grandpa senator they sure did (laughs) they sure did I hope people caught that yeah they called him grandpa senator um and and they always called him that grandpa senator grandpa senator um and then they called their grandma grand mayor um for grandmother in French so you know they were just the you know hoity-toity Negroes you know from 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 New Orleans and you know not saying everybody from New Orleans is like that so people from New Orleans don't 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 shoot me in the foot but um you know I mean I do know some people like that and I went to college with some people who had families like that um but you know they came from like an aristocratic sort of family so you know when you know Eloise kind of tells the story of how she met you know Porter's dad it all made sense for her that Porter would be with somebody like Ari because he's like I see the same thing I see the same you know sparking that you know my husband had you know that he had that Porter has for you so yeah dads are super seem to be super important particularly even in the love lives of these these characters, you know? I think that's amazing because you, I mean, the, this idea that, you know, Black children, not that we aren't raised by single mothers. I was raised by a single mother, but mm-hmm. I, I did have a father figure in my life and mm-hmm. who definitely played, you know, a significant role in my upbringing. So I wasn't without that that fatherly guidance that, the media always portrays seems to always portray when it comes to black children yeah the fact that these two characters are you know loved and and and, you know loved and celebrated by their fathers so much it was really something that I just thought again kudos to you for being Mm -hmm. able to sort of do away with that narrative and and tell the true story of us and our family um whether those fathers are biological yes. or not they yes. they do exist <laughs> yes yes and, and i'm glad you brought up like not having a biological dad because porter mom she remarries mm-hmm. and she marries desmond <laughs> um and so you know they have another father figure in desmond who adores them adores and, you know, the, the boys like they were his own sons so you know everybody's everybody's loved in this book i think um, in different ways um and whether it's their friend group or their family everybody is loved and loved for who they are and not in spite of things i love that the struggle narrative is not a part of this story i absolutely adore it (laughs) the amount of joy that you've managed to pack into this story Mm -hmm. and celebration of just who we are mm-hmm. it, it is just it's beautiful it's refreshing and we need more stories like this do you hear that publishing we need more stories that aren't <laughs> focused on the struggle of what it is to be black what it is to be plus size what it is to be a woman um and that is not to say that the struggle story is not important, mm-hmm. but I think that's the only story we've been allowed to tell. And in this story, we get to see remnants of the struggle. We get to see parts mm-hmm. of it and how it impacts their their interactions and their lives. 
but it's never the focus of the story. So again, yeah. amazing job with doing that. Now let's talk about Porter's brother, who oh, I think yeah. their relationship is very important in this story because I think um, that relationship really shows how two children being raised in the same family mm -hmm. and have different two experiences. very different experiences. Yes. And yeah. I think you do such a beautiful job of that. Talk to us a little bit more about that. Todd is Todd is like the baby brother. He's about four, I think I've said four years younger than Porter. So when the father died, it was kind of at a critical moment in his life because he was a teenager and he was, you know, about to become a you know, quote unquote man. So he's like lost, like a lost lamb in the woods, you know, when his dad dies. And so he kind of turns to alcohol. But before that, you know, there was constant comparison of him and Porter as kids, you know. Oh, Todd would be so cute if Todd, you know, was lighter. Todd would be, you know, thank God Todd's smart because he's not as cute, you know, things like that. So Todd had these internal things going on with his life. You know, not again, no reflection of their parents, but it was really, you know, his his grandparents um, in Louisiana that kind of made him feel that way. And so he was always, he's always felt like he's played second fiddle to his older brother, whereas his older brother feels like Todd has it all together. You know, Todd has a wife, he has a kid, he has a great career, he's he's doing he has the things that I want, but Todd doesn't see it that way. So yeah. Todd like Todd has a I would say he's jealous, but at the same time, he's hurt because he doesn't understand, like, you know, why, what are you complaining about? Every, you, you've been handed everything. What, you know, you've never had to work hard for anything. And Porter doesn't see, at first, he doesn't realize, doesn't it realize that way. Yeah. Right. And then he's like, well, yeah, you know, I was a kid, some things I didn't realize. And now that I've gotten older, yeah, I see how they could, you know, they can really impact you. But at the same time, he loves his brother. He trusts his brother's judgment when he's sober. <laughs> when he's sober, um, but he said he can't. You know, he can't deal with him when he's drunk. So when he has his like drinking issues and stuff like that, it's a lot. And he's his brother feels like Porter has all the focus on him and not on what he's going through, which is a whole lot of stuff, a whole lot of things. Whereas he and Ari have a whole lot in common. If they would just, you know, they could really talk and, and sit and talk to each other about the microaggressive things that they felt on the job as being the only black or a black person in a higher position um but instead of opening up he rather kind of hide in the bottom bottom of a bottle so I, I love the fact that through Todd we get to see and sort of we see it in application and we we can see how harmful it is when people deem you as strong as put mm -hmm. together as mm -hmm. always you know, having this picture perfect identity, they don't mm -hmm. realize a lot of times that people have to do those things. They have to accomplish those things because they have no other choice. Right. Right. So, right. so where Porter is given all of this support by his grandparents because of one, how he looks, and two, because of the fact that he's compliant mm -hmm. to what they want of what things they ask of him. Mm -hmm. Um we don't see that Todd's only option to succeed, his only way to have any sort of, to salvage his life and be able to get the things in life that he needs is to succeed because he knows he doesn't have that, that right. net to fall back on. Right. And 
we see how toxic that becomes in the story. Mm -hmm. uh, and I love the fact also that you are addressing, you know, issues of addiction without vilifying <laughs> yeah. the person who is addicted and, and struggling with addiction. Yeah. I felt so much absolute love for Todd. I felt so much um, empathy for him. Mm -hmm. And I also, it also shows you how Porter is not perfect because mm -hmm. he did not realize yeah. all this time that his brother was feeling this way and and dealing with this struggle I right he was Again, not perfect. not to say yeah not to say porter is self-absorbed but at the same time he just assumed you know That's my brother drinks it. sometimes and but he has it together most of the time you know like you know he drinks but you know he can get a little he can he can drink a little too much but you know if he's got it together he's got this he's got that you know he's got it together he didn't realize how how really how bad it was you know, I don't really read, I haven't read any reviews of the book, really, but someone tagged me on something on Instagram, and you know how when it comes up, you can see it, and one of the things that somebody said was, um, I don't understand why the brother's story is in here, blah, blah, I was like, it's because you can kind of see, like you said, how people being raised in the same home have two different experiences, and how the toll of that experience takes on one brother versus the other mm -hmm. and how you know having a brother who is you know an alcoholic takes a toll on your whole family you know it's not just him it's 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 the entire family the entire you know quote-unquote ecosystem of their family is is you know disrupted by his his drinking and he gets worse on holidays and you know he starts missing his dad and it gets worse when he's, you know, at, at work and all these things and how we often can turn a blind eye, like you said, to what addiction really does um, to a family. Um, and the fact that they, you know, tried to have <laughs> interventions and they've, they've done that and he still, you know, ends up, you know, why well, not? You don't give nothing away. But he still, you know, it can end up being detrimental to him. You know, it's, it's, it's a lesson that, you know, folks need to learn i think it really at the end the end opens porter's eyes to you know you know seeing the relationship with his brother in a different way so. i think it also um helps his relationship with with ari because yes. it helps him understand more what someone in the in the body that she has must go through how they must move through life mm -hmm. and out of self-love they must have in order to come through this life with with so much joy intact right um, i don't i i think that having this experience understanding his brother's experience definitely helps him become a better man for ari not that he yeah. wasn't already wonderful um yeah. because from his first meeting of her when she's you know miserable and you know messy he does something really sweet without her knowledge. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, you will love Porter fr from the very first time we see him on the page. You're, you will absolutely <laughs> adore him. But yeah. I do love that even though he's perfect and he has a lot of great qualities, his flaws, 
you know, his, his main flaw is his blindness that the world is not great for other people. Right. And he just thinks, oh, you know, we all have bad things and we all, you know, push through. He doesn't realize that the level at which he has to work to get the same result is so much less than people who are struggling with society's isms and schisms. So again, that again, Uh, (laughs) back to the work scene Yes, and the misogyny, the misogynoir, right? Um, For those of you who are unfamiliar with the term, misogynoir means misogyny focused at Black women, specifically focusing on how race um, plays into how Black women are treated in society mm-hmm. at large. Mm-hmm. And um, it's something that almost, you know, the way it's talked about, oftentimes we feel like misogynoir is only something that can come from outside of the Black community. Right. But also showed that that is not true That's in the story, that it could it can come from people from the same community from the same background as you. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think Ari's experience is indicative of what a lot of Black women in professional spaces, even professional spaces where race is not where their race is the majority? Do oh, absolutely! Oh, absolutely! Oh my God! Absolutely! Um, you know. There, I mean, there are times that where I've been, you know, I've worked in spaces that are, you know, predominantly black, and I've still seen a lot of misogynoir going on. You know, I mean, places as, as innocent as like, you know, I used to work at a shoe store. It's a good example. I worked at a shoe store, and I remember um, the particular manager used to put like the girls who were darker and bigger in the back in stocking. And used to put the girls who were thinner and lighter on the floor to sell shoes. So that's just like one example of not only colorism, but massage noir all mixed into one um, that can impact people in the workplace. Of course, I didn't stay at that job. I was in college, so I didn't stay at that job. But things like that definitely happen. And then on a grander scale, you know, when you start working, even in an all-Black environment, you start seeing who gets promoted, who doesn't. Um, you start hearing about people, you know, talking about people's, you know, appearances and things like that. People who are upholding white supremacy um, on the job in these spaces. So yeah, misogynoir happens, I think, more often than we realize in spaces where we all look alike. Because I guess we're still trying to, uh, quote unquote, present ourselves in a professional way um, and still appease quote, the masses, so to speak. Um, I mean, I live in Atlanta and most of my job at, you know, environments have been mostly black or mostly female. And I still have had issues where misogynoir goes on and it's been perpetuated by other women and not necessarily women of color, but, but, you know, other women, whether they be black, white, whatever other women have done it too. I love that you bring that point up that it also comes from other women as Mm -hmm. well. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just, Tati, I can't sing your praises enough. This book is absolutely fantastic. Thank you. It has everything. I mean, it's so rich, um, and, and diverse with respect to experiences. Um, I think you do a fantastic job of 
showing the world that blackness is not monolithic mm-hmm. that we are different all across the diaspora and it doesn't matter what rock we landed on yeah all, all see the world exactly in the exact same way we do have different experiences mm-hmm. and our experiences will dictate what our perspectives are so yeah. i think we do that so gracefully without making again this a book about struggles you acknowledge struggle exists you acknowledge how it impacts lives Mm -hmm. but again the book is not about that the book's the the book's not about that and plus i wanted people to laugh i wanted it to be a a rom-com i wanted people to laugh i want to be funny a lot of funny parts and a lot of funny internal dialogue and stuff like that. I wanted it to be funny. So, you know, I can't, you know, wallow in struggle and still try to make you laugh. That's not going, that's not going to work. You know, like, you know, it's just, it's just not going to work. <laughs> that formula don't work. This book is brilliant. Thank it, you. It really is brilliant. And yes, I did come on here just to fangirl about how awesome this book is. Cause I want y'all, to go read this book um, and champion for jamal to get a book <laughs> and champion for jamal because i need jamal in a book i'm just saying that the boy is spoken. crazy <laughs> the people have spoken jamal we, we, we working on it y'all it, jamal is i mean he is uh, he's just I know I know a few Jamals, which is why as soon know as, Jamals. Yeah. as soon as Porter's like, man, you ain't shit. I'm like, yo, I know this. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and we and he's always the coolest dude, right? Like, you know, yeah. he ain't about nothing. No, no. <laughs> but he is still always the coolest dude. And you can't help but want to hang out with him. Yes. So yeah. I, I need a story so we can learn about Jamal's life because it has to be interesting for him to be such a hot mess, an adorable hot mess. Adorable hot mess, yes. He is. He's an adorable hot mess. <laughs> he takes all of the negative tropes and makes them somehow endearing. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so since this book is about uh, workplace romances, I'm getting in your business now. Okay. How do you feel about them? Yay or nay? Um, I'm on the fence. <laughs> I'm on the fence because I don't like when they're like a subordinate and a supervisor. I don't like that. But if you're kind of equal footing and you know what I'm saying in, in, in the workplace, I'm, I'm okay with it. But if it's like a supervisor and a subordinate, I'm like, oh, I don't know about that. So I'm kind of on the fence, you know, it depends. I, I think adults should be able to handle things and adults ways but oftentimes workplace romance gets super super messy so <laughs> they get super messy it's like i said especially if it's a supervisor and a subordinate so i'm not i'm not here for that dynamic but if you're equal it's cool i, I mean even when i'm reading about it and here's where my my reading tastes may differ um and i know so all y'all that's ready to come for me over what i'm about to say keep it to yourself i really don't care um <laughs> i don't mind you know romances where there's a power imbalance um with respect to work i will say Mm -hmm. Uh, other power imbalances make me a little skeevy but at work (laughs) when we are reading these stories for one i know they're fictional and i'm not really applying the rules of real life Mm -hmm. 
books, I'm reading it for the fantasy. So again, if you got issues with it, don't come for me. Don't care. I'm still going to read my books. Right. Um, <laughs> but I will say in real life, I do not at all support <laughs> in all these romances. They, I have seen a few get really messy. Yeah, I have experienced one get really messy. It is not... It, it's not for the faint of heart. So I do no. not necessarily love them, but I'll read about them all day long because. <laughs> uh, yeah, you don't, need, you don't need those romances tearing the office apart and the whole office is divided one side. Exactly. On, one side on Sheila's side, the other side on John's <laughs> side. You know, we don't need that. <laughs> we don't need that. Uh, you know, again, real life rules don't apply. I'm in <laughs> fantasy, you know. Uh, working for a billionaire and he falls in love with me um yes. you know <laughs> billionaire is always you know it doesn't right. matter i'm in it for the fantasy i could be his secretary if yes. i like end up you know being his wife and getting all the benefits <laughs> yeah. no prenup no prenup. no prenup no prenup exactly <laughs> so again i know it might not be you know uh, it might not be favorable to say that out loud, but I'm gonna read those every time. <laughs> and again, because I realize it's not real life. In real life, no, I do not like them. But um, in in the romance, if especially if it's done well, and a lot of those icky factors are mitigated, I love mm -hmm. it. And I think you mitigate the icky factors so yeah. well in this book that we, yeah. I like, I literally never felt like they should have been apart. Mm -hmm. I know that Ari has her reasons and they're very, mm -hmm. you know, valid reasons for doing it. I know that Porter um, has his reasons and they're very valid reasons. But at the same time, I was just like, why y'all playing? Like, <laughs> I can't are... about this little job y'all got. Like, just get together already. <laughs> yeah, in an in a earlier draft, he was her, he was going to be her boss. And then I was like, I don't like that. So then I changed it. And I was like, no, she's coming in as an equal kind of partner on this whole project. So I was like, that's better. Because that, make, <laughs> that makes me feel better about them, you know, working together and sleeping around and sneaking around. That, that, that You know, but um, if it was her boss, I was like, mm, no, then I, I scrapped that whole idea. I was like, no, nah, I don't like it. <laughs> I, I mean, it was wonderful the way it is, but I think in your hands, it could have been just as equally wonderful if he Thank had. You. <laughs> I, I have no doubt that you would have mitigated the icky factors. Um, but I, <laughs> I, I really was just like, why y'all playing with my emotions? Just go and get together. Stop this nonsense. Like, I don't uh, care about your job. I really don't. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, trust me. I got halfway through the book. I was like, oh, maybe I just make them just run away together and just be over. <laughs> they they work wonderfully together. They yeah. are, I mean, they really are such a wonderful couple. Mm. And again, they're, I just, I can't say enough about how fabulous <laughs> this book is and how I want Thank everybody. You. Do you hear me? <laughs> Everyone to go buy a copy. So Give us all the facts and rundowns of where people can find this book, um, where where it's going to be at, where you're going to be at, when it's okay. released, all these things, all the details, please. So, of course, um, the buildup is available at all major retailers. Um, if you're a part of Harlequin Direct-to-Consumer, uh, it'll be part of the March um, Direct-to-Consumer box. So 
you'll get a nice copy there um again it's at all major retailers and i'm going to be having an event on the release date which is march 28th which is also my 44th birthday um and we're going to be having an event with myself and mika james uh author mika james um at in eagle eye bookstore in decatur georgia so if you um want to order through a local indie like eagle eye um, please order through them and if you do order through eagle eye you'll get an exclusive print that i had commissioned of ari and porter um by a wonderful saint lucian artist named maya sami so um yeah if you order through eagle eye you'll get that print just exclusive just to the folks who pre-order through my indie um and i'm going to be on a bunch of other podcast and <laughs> stuff like that um but the links will be all in my uh bio um and all on twitter so you can follow me everywhere instagram tiktok twitter under the same handle which is uh richard writes on w-r-i-t-e-s-o-n so I, love, I actually adore that twitter handle it's yeah <laughs> oh yes my all of us literary right. folks who are yeah we got it y'all got it <laughs> into, into black literature uh yeah, the black literary yeah. canon like it just speaks to our soul so yes yes, yes. <laughs> so yes please 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 order through your local indies and again my local indie is eagle eye indicator so order through them you get that cool print oh my goodness i cannot believe we have talked this long about this is there anything else that we that I missed because I was too busy fangirling if it was <laughs> no absolutely no absolutely not you covered just about I mean shoot, you covered just about everything without us giving away too much of the plot so I think I think we did a good job so awesome thank you so much Laquette for coming on and interviewing me for for a change having somebody turn the tables on me uh, so I appreciate that tell the people where they can find you on <laughs> social media uh you can find me and on twitter at laquette writes which is l-a-q-u-e-t-t-e-r-w-r-i-t-e-s um you can find me at the same handle on facebook uh and on instagram and tiktok i'm at l-a underscore quet q-u-e-t-t-e Yes, yes, Those yes. Places you can find me or my website, laquette.com. I'll be hitting you up later because people are also asking me to write about cowboys because you know I've been <laughs> obsessing about cowboys and I know you just got you just released one or have one coming out. So I just I'll just have to hit you up. Cowboys are fun. Cowboys they are, are fun. so sexy. <laughs> Yes, yes. So they're like, I'm tired. When's the cowboy I'm like, It's coming, it's coming. Let me just get another book out first. <laughs> Call me anytime because <laughs> It cowboys are I never get mad at having to write a cowboy anytime yes. one of my publishers is like hey would you like to write one I'm like sure will because <laughs> it's just something about seeing them even their covers like seeing them yes. on the, the the shelf they just the the covers look so much different mm -hmm. next year especially mm -hmm. like this one right here you well yeah. you all can't see it but i have a background in my zoom of one of my upcoming books uh design on designs on a rancher and mostly all you could see is the cowboy's hat and it is just everything like it's, everything. Gi it's giving it's giving me Dak <laughs> prescott <sort of. laughs> he looked kind of like Dak prescott i'm like oh yes <laughs> 
<laughs> they are fun. So yes, I would love to talk to you about because <laughs> <cowboy. laughs> they are fun. <laughs> yes, yes. yes. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thank, Thank you, you for letting me interview you. Thank you for allowing me to read this book because again, this was such a joy to consume and I did consume it. Um, it was just that delicious. And thank you again for doing so much work in this mm -hmm. one title. Um, go you. get this book, y'all. Go <laughs> get this book. You will be so upset with yourself if you don't read this book. Trust Aww, me. Thank you so much, LaQuette. I appreciate it. Coming from you, it means so much to me. So thank you so much. Well, that's all for this episode. Next week, you'll be back to your regular voice. So again, don't think that. I hope you all don't run off or turned off the podcast because you thought, this is not Tati. I am not hearing her. <laughs> You're in the right place. Yes, Romance I'll be back <laughs> next week with, with another episode of Romance and Color, your place for real inclusive love. But in the meantime, thank you, LaQuette, so much. Bye. <laughs> I want to thank author, mentor, big sister in my head, LaQuette, for coming on and guest hosting for this special episode of Romance and Color, uh, where we're celebrating my debut novel, The Build Up. Uh, once again, this is Tati Richardson, and thank you all for tuning in this week. Um, you can find more information about LaQuette and all of her books on her website, LaQuette.com. Her newest book is Designs on a Rancher, which is part of the Texas Cattlemen's uh, series on Harlequin. Um, you can find out more about the buildup and me on my website, TatianaRichardson.com. And the buildup is available everywhere you buy your books. And it's also available via audiobook, anywhere that you get audiobooks. All right, you guys, take care. God bless. And I will see you all next week for another episode of Romance in Color. Take care. Bye.